Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 236 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 3rd, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a lot of questions to get to. We've got to talk about USC's big opening day win against the University of Hawaii. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call 206-888-6755. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail. And we have in the first segment, Coach Harvey Hyde. We love talking to him, especially after football games. It's been a long time since we've had to talk to Coach after an actual football game. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Well, buddy, it's been a wonderful uh, Labor Day weekend, especially for all you Trojan fans out there. Uh, how could you get it? It'd be better than being a packed house of 93,000. See the Trojans open up their season in a electrical way as far as big play offense and the defense playing well and a lot of players having the opportunity to play, which I've always been talking about, getting reps for your younger players, getting experience for your younger players, especially when you're ahead. And with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Max Wedick came in the game, and others came in the game, and it was great to be able to evaluate a lot of those players, and I'm sure the coaches enjoyed it too on on Sunday or normally right after the game. I could never, never wait till Sunday. If I waited till Sunday, I'd have to watch it uh, first thing in the morning. I mean, I'd be up early because I couldn't sleep. You're excited about seeing that film in the next game. And now, too, with all the electrical uh, tapings that they have, by the time the coaches get back to the office, by the time they get back to the office, each one of them will have a, a copy of the game in their office so they can break it down and look at their position. And then later on, they have staff meetings and go over that on Sunday, talking about what we need to work on and what you think of this and what you think of that. And also when you play away games, like when they go to Syracuse next week, I just thought I'd bring this up so people know how it works they will be able to watch the Syracuse game on the flight home. Each one of them will have their own computer. They'll have it ready for them when they get on the plane. And then uh, the four-hour flight or whatever it might be, they will break down their positions. So in the morning when they come in, they've already got that down. And you grade every player every week on uh, their uh, point systems that they use. So next week, by the time they get back to LAX, whatever time that might be, uh, 6, 7 o'clock in the evening, because of the time change, they'll be able to get back. They'll have that film completely, or those tapes, completely broken down in the Syracuse game. And when they come in Sunday, they'll meet. And also, every film available for them for Stanford will be already in their computers so they can start to work on Stanford immediately. So it's it's really uh, quite a process now with all the computers and things that you can do man that's uh they talk about prep not hype that's a lot of prep really early on so they're getting ready um well coach i want to thank our sponsor southern california tickets you can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets for say the cal football game which is coming up in a couple of weeks you can go to one call 1-800-888-7287 or like i said call s uh, go to sctickets.com and coach it was a uh, it was kind of an interesting game you know 49 to 10 i heard you on the trojan brunch uh, you were with uh, Pete Arbogast on 710 here in Los Angeles. So if people don't check that out, certainly Sunday mornings, you should check it out with Coach Harvey Hyde breaking down the USC football game. You know, I, I think some fans, they were excited. Like on the field, the first play of the game, Marquise Lee getting that long 75-yard touchdown catch. I mean, obviously people were really jacked up for that. Then, you know, there was some weird stuff happening, going for two, three times and not making it. Kind of took a little bit of the wind out of the crowd sails and there were some three and outs there where it's it's funny Matt Barkley didn't look good at times balls kind of bouncing off his receiver's hands it pretty much seemed like everything was going to Marquise Lee and and Robert Woods and 
certainly a different opening than last year when you know they only scored 19 points against Minnesota. But you could see there was still a lot of potential for this team to play quite a bit better. You're right. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to come off of a 49-10 win and then say, oh, we got a lot to work on. But if you listen to Lane Kiffin or Coach Kiffin, that's exactly what his words were. So I don't want people to think that when I say the things I say, it isn't what coaches are thinking. You know, the first game, you get better between the first and second week, but you have a chance to evaluate every player and the plays you called uh, on film against a different color or a different team. And it really helps you a lot because you're able to evaluate who played well, who didn't play well, what do we tend to do that uh, we did too much of or we didn't do enough of this and that and so on. Why were we dropping passes and they were dropping passes because everyone was trying to make a big play rather than be happy with just the reception and then run with the football. There's little things you have to work on, the form tackling, tackling, keep your head up, settle up on kickoff coverages. Don't allow the, the guy to, to, to get you out of your lanes when you cover kickoffs. These are just a few of the things that I saw. We can get into everything if you want. But uh, and one uh, really uh, thing that I think they have to improve on, and, and, I, and I think he said it himself, everybody knows this, you've got to be able to run the football. And when you have a total rushing yards of 81 yards, you're leading rusher 58 yards, Curtis McNeil six yards rushing net. I'm talking about net yards. I mean, man, I mean, you've got to, you won't do, you won't win by just uh, throwing the home run ball against great teams. Why? You always have to be hot. You have to be hot. You have to be on. And if, if, if Matt's off or if they double cover you and you don't take advantage of the covers or they confuse you, uh, then all of a sudden the great pass weapon is not there because they're covering the passes. So you've got to have the ability to take advantage of the adjustments that they're doing defensively to run the football and force them out of what they're doing in their coverages. So you've got to be able, especially when you're up 49-10 or whatever the score might be, to be able to work on some of the things that might not be going well, but you're able to work on them to be able to get it on film to see why they weren't going well. And uh, these are some of the things I talk about. And, you know, in the heat of a game, it's easy for me to step back today or yesterday or Saturday and say we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But when you're down on the field, you're trying to control the game as a head football coach, it's difficult. You've got a guy in the press box talking to you. You've got an offensive line coach talking to you. You've got you know, you keep, keep track of whether you're going to challenge a play. You've got the officials you've got to sort of talk to occasionally when they need a little suggestion here or there. And then you've got, of course, of course be in charge of your team. So there's a lot of things that you have to do, and you sometimes don't think of all these things, but they're things that they have thought about now after Sunday looking at the tapes or Saturday night or whenever they wanted to look at them. They've met, and they'll work on those things, and they'll get better. But you've got to get better, and you've got to be ready to play because people are going to take away, first of all, the thing you want to do, the thing you do the best. That's what they take away from you offensively. I haven't talked about defense yet. We'll get to that. I'm sorry I'm rambling on about this, <laughs> no, but no. that's the way I am. And, uh, and I'm sure that Coach Kiffin also had the address to the team regarding some of the things that were in the Los, a- uh, Los Angeles Times. I mean, you can't allow that to be a distraction. I'm sure they had a team meeting. He's telling them all that, and this is the way or what I would tell them, that this is not going to affect this year. Don't get distracted. Uh, we're going to uh, whatever we deserve to go to at the end of the season, and we'll deal with that as we deal with everything else. It's just another opponent out there that uh, Pat Aiden and the rest of the university will have to deal with. But I'm not worried about this one, and if you want to talk about that later, we will. And I'm sorry I rambled on about the offense, <laughs> but the, I guess the next thing you'll ask me is about the defense. But, you know, I don't want to not answer a question, Ryan. And that's why I go on a little bit too long sometimes. No, no problem, Coach. Well, you did mention, we do have a, a voicemail question about the the running game that you did mention a little bit earlier. So let me uh, let me play that question for you uh, here, Coach. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Coach Dan Weber. This is Jeff in the OC. Uh, great game overall. I think we got off to a good start on Saturday, but I had a couple questions regarding the running game or lack thereof. Aside from Silas's reds, 
nice run of about 30 yards and a couple other carries. I really didn't see much in the way of a running game. And what worries me is the Trojans, like last year, got off to a poor start running, but we were able to really open it up with a nice running game at the end of the season. Uh, I hope we don't uh, get too focused on just passing. Um, uh, Coach, could you maybe elaborate a little bit on what you saw and what were the problems on the offensive line? It really looked like uh, our guys were getting dominated there by uh, some of the Hawaii um, defensive linemen, and you know I really don't think that uh, you know they've got uh, Hawaii's got that many athletes. So could you comment on that for us? And uh, once again, fight on Trojans, and you guys keep up the good work at uh, the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, Hawaii's strength of their probably entire team is their defensive line. They have more returners coming at that coming back at that position than any other. And if you know a, a Samoan Hawaiian type of player, I coached at the University of Hawaii. I played against the University of Hawaii. Uh, they are tough dudes, and uh, they take a lot of pride in what they do. And uh, they're very strong up front. And you need to attack them in a way where you can use your quickness, uh, going to the outside. Wearing them down a little bit by making them run a lot. Uh, not that they're not in shape, but you've got to be able to uh, be able to make them run to stop a play. And uh, when you run right at them, they'll stand you up and they'll hold their ground well. So uh, I think that you know it depends on the way you attack the defense. And uh, they weren't afraid to play uh, USC in man coverage. They were not afraid. They had a lot of pass interference penalties. But they did not change from what their game plan was on that because that's the scheme of their defense they're going to be using during the year. And their defensive coordinator says, if we can stop these receivers, we can stop anyone in the country. Now, they didn't stop all the receivers, but they did stay with that scheme. So, yes, I agree with you. You've got to get tougher. You've got to run more running plays. You don't expect to make a touchdown in every running play or passing play. But it's a great down to be second second and five a five yard gain on a running play is a nice gain you can't be discouraged if you make three yards and you're afraid to do it again you've got to repeat a play to get it better at playing and the timing of the back the timing of the blockers the timing of what's going on over there and the way to set up running plays don't really happen if you don't do them a lot like the counters off the running plays uh, the sweep they ran two sweeps off the counter or off the uh, in the offense. They the play action pass wasn't really good. Why? Well, they scored one touchdown on it, but the play action pass you really didn't set it up, but you didn't run the ball as much. But uh, you've got to have a running game, and you've got to be able to. You can win championships with just a passing game, but not very often against great teams because great teams will have coverages to take you out of that and you're not good at the running game then, and they don't fear your, fear, fear your running game, and they make you run the football to beat them, and you're not really good at it at that time because you haven't practiced it to do it, but you've got to run the football. Play action pass and all the things that come off of it, you heard me talk, if you heard me on Sunday, you've got to run the football. You can't score on every play, but you've got to be able to fall forward and run forward and build that confidence of the offensive line and the confidence of the backs and the receivers blocking out there that, hey, the run is something we've got to do here. And uh, if you do that, you'll be a great offense. Not that they can't be a great passing offense, but you're even a better offense as far as trying to defend you. It's impossible. And I want to give credit to a guy that threw one heck of a block. I don't know if people saw this black block on the offense. The first play of the game, Randy Telfer, when they threw the ball out there to uh, uh, Marcus Lee, he recovered. He was in a route. He recovered. He was blocking. Turned back on the receiver. Lee made a move to the inside, went outside. Telford made his block, and he went right down the sideline. Now, one thing I was a little nervous about, did he step out of bounds? It would have brought the ball back, but he didn't. So it's a great way to start the season, but you've got to keep your momentum going. Sometimes when you score too easily, uh, you think this is going to be an easy game, and, and all of a sudden teams catch up. But in the third quarter there, they had a little bit of a lull coming out. In fact, the offense didn't get the football back until four minutes left in the third quarter. They never got on the field because 
Hawaii had a long drive. And then Marcus Lee returned the kickoff for a touchdown, which was absolutely a beautiful run. And you'd see who was leading that down the field was Nelson Aguilar. So, you know, he can run. And uh, and then uh, they finally did get back on the field. But overall-wise, uh, you know, when you start a football game, uh, uh, the first game of the year, there's always room for improvement. You're always glad to win. And winning's what it's all about, whether it's ugly or not. I think there'll be a better football team after they reevaluate everything they did. All right, uh, let's go to Tim, coach. He said, can the Trojans fix their coverage in the secondary? Hawaii receivers were wide open a lot, especially on third and long. Too many uncontested catches. What do you think, coach, about how the USC secondary played? Well, I agree with you. Um, I thought uh, Mikel Roby played well. And McJohn, they got great play out of their safeties, okay? I think they've got a great group of safeties. In fact, Josh Shaw got an interception. McDonald is just all over the field. I mean, he's just a great player. Drew McAllister played well. Starling played well. Uh, Demetrius Wright played a lot. They played a lot of people in the secondary. But on the other side, they they had uh, Brown, uh, who, who hasn't – he had a, I think he had a hamstring or something or an ankle or something in the fall camp, didn't get a lot of reps, so – I think that absolutely showed. Uh, and, you know, people are telling me that Hawaii had great receivers. Now, I, I wasn't that impressed with their receivers, and I think they'll face better receivers, USC. But they did have uh, some uh, uh, long passes, not long passes, but route first down routes on third down that they did complete. They were off the receivers. Uh, sometimes DBs were falling down uh, things like that that you can't allow, especially against a quarterback Schroeder. And I'm not saying anything bad about the kid. I'm just saying you're going to fit every single play team you play from now on is going to have a better quarterback than Hawaii's quarterback. You're going to play a kid this, this week in, uh, at Syracuse that threw the ball 65 times for 470 yards and four touchdowns. So you're going to see the ball in the air because people are going to think they have to try to outscore USC. So, um, yes, you're going to have to improve in the secondary. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do about that. But uh, you remember the old theory that Pete Carroll used, bend but not break? Uh, I don't know if that is what Monty Kiffin is going to do. I don't believe he will. I think he locks on and loves to play man. But we'll see what happens with that. And, uh, uh, you know, they put a rush on uh, Schroeder, and, and they got to him a couple of times, and Morgan Breslin did a great job. I'm not getting on the defensive side until you ask me. But they did well when they pressured him. But when he had time to throw the ball, they were open, and some of the kids dropped the ball too or Schroeder didn't throw it correctly. So, yeah, they've got to work on that. Okay, we do have another defensive question here. This is from our buddy, Coach G. He starts it off, Happy New Year, Ryan. So I guess uh, he can... <laughs> it's not a new year until football season starts, and I think a lot of people agree with him. He said, Congratulations to the team. Personally, have the same concerns as last year. One, no consistent contain. Nobody, nobody on runs on the right side. Two, soft zone on third and long. And three, uh, playing zone on the goal line. He says the difference in Alabama, LSU, and the USC defense is SC teams challenge the opponent. Uh, if only Coach uh, Monty Kiffin could adjust to the college game. USC has great defensive talent. What is Coach Harvey Hyde's take on that? Keep up the upstanding job. Well, uh, I, I want you to know, I, I agree with you on the contain. I didn't mention it, but uh, I really think their philosophy was to get to him and don't worry about the contain because they didn't feel he could run with a lick. And uh, they would rather have him run than throw the football. Uh, then run than, than throw it. So, uh, you know, he was he didn't want to run the football. They did lose contain. Their defensive ends went inside. They used a lot of cross charges, too, during the game, and the tackle never got around to be in a contained type of situation. But uh, Schroeder did get outside and uh, sort of just loafed along out there and tried to find the open receiver. You're not going to ever be able to do that uh, against Oregon or any of these other people. You really aren't. But I think the schemes that they used against uh, Hawaii were basically Norm Chow's offense. Norm Chow has never wanted his quarterback to run the football. So they, they went off of what he's done in the past. And uh, one thing they did do is bootleg too much, but they really did, never got their run going. And, and I agree with him as far as zone defense and, and the end zone. It's absolutely – well, 
I wouldn't do it. Let me put it to you that way. Why? You're, you're lining up in the end zone. You're lining off the player. The player just gets in the end zone. It's a touchdown. I, I like to get on a guy. I like to press him down there and, and make it be a perfect pass or whatever it might be to, to have to score. So, yeah, I agree, and I don't like loose zones either on uh, – on third and longs, I like to I, I like to press. I'm just a pressing guy. Get great athletes, put them on them, disrupt their routes, make it be a perfect pass. Go after and blitz. But I really think I really think you know, you call that being aggressive on defense. But I really think Monty was really a little bit laid back. I mean, he wanted to do it a basic way. Every time they stunted, they got to Schroeder almost. Uh, they wanted the guys to play basic. And they'll, so they can coach off the film. And they're going to coach off the film and show what went wrong and what went right. Because there are times you want to play zone and keep the player in front of you, uh, the receivers in front of you. But I, I agree 100% with Coach Coach there. Coach, what is his name? Coach G? Coach G, yes. Yeah, Coach G, uh, you obviously are coach because you see those same type of things I do. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I think they'll change. You know, when they were really good last year, they really pressured people. When they played locked up and played great man and and uh, came after you, they you know they whenever you can disrupt an offense, it's absolutely tremendous. So show something and do something else, and show it and then do it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go, Bart and Marin. He wants you, coach, to discuss. Redshirt freshman nose tackle uh, Antoine Woods. He says it's a great story coming from a very tough hood, just like a lot of the guys. If ninety nine stays health stays fit and healthy, it looks like he could potentially dominate inside. I saw him line up at fullback in high school, just like the fridge for the Bears. It might be hard to stop on the goal line with Soma and the pigskin behind him. That's from Bart. Well, Bart, uh, that's great. I tell you, Antoine Woods uh, redshirted last year. He's really worked hard in the offseason. As everyone knows, he's lost weight. Uh, he's a starter. Uh, he can be a tough guy. He's got to be a tough guy. He's got to be able to hold his ground. He's, he, you know, he's, he's a strong guy that wants to take care of the middle. Uh, he, he's he's getting get himself in shape. He's going to play himself into shape. Uh, uh, redshirting really helped him a lot. I think he, he needed the red shirt as other players at USC need the red shirt because you really grow up between your freshman and sophomore year. And uh, I like him. I like the way he plays. I, I think they got a great rotation in there now with Woods and Williams and Uko. And I was very impressed with Christian Hayward. He got after it. He got after it really well. I was proud of him. And he, had, he didn't have a lot of practice in the fall camp. And I tell you, he played well. And when I saw him in one scrimmage, he played well. He's playing better than what I thought he could play. So if these four players can develop in there, they'll get a nice rotation. Lyndon Williams is a great player. He really is. 94, had a sack, recovered a fumble. Uh, Uko, I don't have to tell you about Uko. He's going to be a number one draft choice. And Woods could be uh, playing on Sunday. He needs to get better every day. He needs to work hard every day. He's a good kid. And uh, I want to wish him the best, I'll tell you. He sometimes gets left out of the mix. People don't talk about him like they should talk about him. But he'll stand you up and he'll hold his ground and he'll play hard and take his gap. And I think that's what you got to do. He's going to develop into a good player. He'll, he will get better every week. He will get better every week, every turn. He'll get better, 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 better. Because he'll join uh, the group of conditioning with endurance and everything that goes along with it. And he'll become a great player. Because in high school, a lot of these guys dominated because they didn't play against guys that were equal to them. Now you get to play against guys that are equal to you. And that makes you a better player. You really get better during the week in practice. And in the games, you really get fired up and you want to see how good you really are and what can you, what can you do. All right. Uh, one question that was actually from, from me, Coach, I wanted to talk to you about. I think a lot of people talked about in all the radio interviews I did, uh, there was concern about the depth on the defensive line. There wasn't as much talk about the secondary. I think, you're, like you said before, they're very deep at cornerback, I mean, at, at safety. But, you know, we talked about some of the corner issues without Torrin Harris been in there, being in there, without Isaiah Wiley being in there. Uh, I, I think there was some exposure there. You saw, uh, you know, Anthony Brown struggled a little bit. We saw uh, Brian Bauckham come in there. We got to see true freshman Kevon Seymour. Not really sure if the the corner opposite Nikhil Roby is a solid point right now. And then, can you really say 
that the defensive line is going to be a concern now. I mean, there was plenty of bodies rotated through there, and I think everyone that we saw, so many newcomers, made significant contributions. You saw sacks. Uh, you saw a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I think J.R. Tavide played really well at defensive end. Uh, you know, George Uko got in there, sack, forced fumble. Uh, Leonard Williams got in there with a sack. You said, you know, you mentioned Christian Hayward, you know, uh, Antoine Woods. It, it seems like there was a concern because a lot of those guys on the defensive line you hadn't seen in a game before. Now you have, you know, Morgan Breslin in there. I, I'm not sure if this defensive line you can really say you're worried about depth, even though still missing two senior starting defensive ends. Wes Horton didn't play, and obviously Devon Kennard, but it, it seemed like Ed Orgeron has enough bodies there. It, it For me, the, the big concern on defense now goes from the defensive line to cornerback, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, I agree with you on the cornerback position. I, I really do. Uh, Brian Balcom got to be confined. I was really concerned with that after the game. The one side was really uh, – uh, if I was going to go after anybody, that's where I'd go in our passing game. We'd go over there and work on those guys. Nikhil uh, Ruby, I just love that kid, I tell you. five nine. he's all over you. He'll hit you. He'll do everything what it takes to play. Uh, he sets an example for the team. He's a great leader. He's the one that brings him out of the tunnel. I don't know if people notice those type of things, but I do. And uh, but uh, let me let me let me just address the defensive line situation. First of all, I have no idea why Wes Horton didn't play. Coach Kiffin doesn't talk about injuries, so uh, that's what he wants to do. So we don't know why he didn't play. I uh, never knew he was hurt. Didn't think he was hurt. Maybe it's something else. Maybe he's disciplining. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't talk about those things. But he didn't play. Uh, secondly. The offensive line of Hawaii was the most inexperienced part of the Hawaii football team. Uh, four starters for brand new. They only one had one returning starter coming back. So I don't know just how good they are or how good they're going to be, but they don't know much about their players. Uh, but uh, if you're going to dominate in any one area, I would think that's the area you could dominate in. And they certainly did. Now, as far as who looked good and, and so on, what I liked about what the defensive line did is they all played hard. you got to play hard. You play hard, that's all that counts. If you play hard, God gave you only so much ability, but if you utilize every bit of it, then that's all you can ask a player. And when everybody went in there, they played hard. Sure, they made some mistakes or missed a tackle or what, whatever. But if you do it playing hard, then what can you ask? You'll adjust. You'll adjust to that, and you'll become better. Now, one of the newer players that I was really impressed with was Morgan uh, Breslin. I'm going to tell you, I I never thought a junior college player could come in this quickly and adjust. And he's not a giant either. He's 6'2", 245, 250 pounds, and put the pressure on Hawaii, which he which he did. I think he he got two sacks, he knocked down two passes. I'm not sure. I think he might have had three or four or five tackles. I mean, he was in, in the game all over the place, and he did an excellent job. Now, how good is he? I don't know because I don't know how good the defense, offensive tackle was that played on him. But he did get calls, and he was running around. For everybody who's wondering what number he is, he was 91. But sometimes I mention names, and you don't remember who it is. 91. I think Leonard Williams is going to be better than what anybody thought he was going to be. He was all over the place, 94, just going like heck. And Uko, 90, was playing great. Uh, Tavai, they moved him over to the right side. I thought he did a heck of a job as far as, you know, a kid that's played inside now going outside. Uh, that might be the place he should stay. And a kid, too, I want to mention. We've talked about Woods a moment ago. Because I want to talk about Townsend, 93. That kid is going to be a great player, Greg Townsend. I'm going to tell you, when he came in, he was flying around for a big body. You know, you don't normally see big bodies flying around. And he was his body was flying around, along with Williams' body, flying around. I mean, uh, in the air, making moves, pursuing. He ran well. So I think Townsend is going to be a player and make contributions this year as a young player. He's a freshman, Richard Freshman. So... You know, I think that if they continue to come along and nobody gets injured and they get Horton back, and uh, I don't know if uh, Kennard's planning on coming back, 
I don't know, but they got to play without him. They don't know. I think they'll be okay. I think it really concerns me is how Bailey is. Maybe you know, Ryan, but I don't know. I don't know what the reports are. I know he was in crutches when he left. That's what I heard. The Coliseum, uh, that is key. That is so key. Bailey is such a great part of USC's defense. And Hayes Pillard, what a great player he was. Uh, my defensive player of the game and uh, was a co as far as Hayes Pollard for what he did, moving into the middle and dominating when he had touchdown back for interception, and Morgan Breslin. I thought those two really played well. On offense, I gave it to Marquise Lee as far as on the show, on Sunday mornings from the Tro- on the Trojan Brunch show. That's who I named. Not that Barkley didn't have a great game. Bark, someone has to throw him the ball, but right. I think that kickoff <laughs> return and everything was just fantastic. So I hope I answered the question. I'm not trying to avoid what I think of the defensive line, except I want to explain to you some things, like the offensive line of Hawaii, how good are they? And let's uh, evaluate it as we move along. Sure, Coach. And uh, Deion Bailey, we don't know. He did leave uh, the locker room on crutches, but they said it was precautionary. And with, with Wes Horton, he wasn't practicing. We didn't know. It was really weird. They listed... You know, they sent out, they tweeted out official starters for the game, and Wes Horton was among them, and Lamar Dawson was among them. So we tweeted out, looks like these guys are going to start. We're not really allowed to talk about if guys aren't practicing or not. So we we haven't seen Lamar Dawson practice in like three weeks, you know, uh, and Wes Horton really didn't practice all week. We weren't really sure, you know, what was going on there. It was like, oh, it looks like they're okay enough to start, but then they didn't start. <laughs> so it's, they're even being, you know, I'm not going to say devious, but they're not uh, being forthright about who's going to start like minutes before the game. I don't think there's really a competitive advantage announcing a starter before, you know, right before kickoff. I don't know if you're going to, the you know, Hawaii defense was going to change thing or the Hawaii offense was going to change anything, but we don't know. Um, but to me, that w- that really meant a lot that without your two senior defensive end starters on a position group that everyone talked about a lot of depth concerns at. Uh, you know, so they so from last year they lost two senior uh, defensive tackles. They lost Nick Perry uh, to the NFL draft. He was a junior. They're two seniors, you know, juniors from last year, now seniors, both out with injuries. And still, even though it was against Hawaii, the defensive line played well and they rotated. And that's something that Ed Orgeron wanted to see. They put a lot of bodies through. I didn't really see, you know, much drop off from when you put you know different guys in there. They all seemed to be able to play. They were unproven, you know, and I still, I, I could still, you know, you could still argue that they're unproven because it's only Hawaii. But I think at least Trojan fans can be somewhat optimistic that there's some guys that can play on this defensive line, and it's probably not going to be a bigger concern as people thought. Well, Ryan, I think you're right. Remember, they're all three, four, and five star players. So uh, they should develop into great players. You recruit great players to USC. Uh, we just always want to be cautious, excuse me, <clears throat> cautious before. You say just how good you're going to be, and I know Coach Ed Ordron says the same thing. I think he was happy with the way they played. They played so hard, and I think that's what you look for in players. Are they giving you the effort? you got to have an effort on defense, and I think that's what we saw against Hawaii. Now what we do is you have to get a better effort. Now against Syracuse, Syracuse is a better football team. Than Hawaii, they lost a close football game by one point, 42-41. They came up, they scored I think 38 points in the second half, or 28 points in the second half against Northwestern. They didn't quit, and of course this is an important game for USC because it's East Coast exposure, and they're taking the show on the road. That's what I used to tell my kids. Hey guys, we're taking the show on the road. Let's don't embarrass ourselves. Let's go back there and convince the East Coast who we are, and I think that's important to do for USC this weekend. Prime time, 12:30 game, kickoff, national game. How can it be any bigger or better than that for this team? So, and Syracuse is going to test them with the passing game. And remember last year they had a close game with uh, Syracuse and the same quarterbacks back. So uh, these type of tests are necessary before you get in the conference. Because look at the conference this year. The conference went eight and three. Conference went eight and three. I was disappointed on a couple of losses uh, that the conference suffered, especially uh, Cal getting beat by Nevada. And Nevada seems to be the giant killer. Beat Boise State, beats these teams that you don't expect them to beat. And 
I just wondered, uh, I just wondered just what's happening with Cal. Not just don't take any credit away from the Wolfpack, but their opening of their stadium, they came back, huge day, sellout crowd, they get beat. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help your program either. Certainly not, Coach. Well, hey, I know we went a little long, but thanks very much for uh, checking in from Catalina Island. We always love talking to you, <laughs> Coach. People always ask me, what are you doing in Catalina all the time? Let me tell you, I'm not here all the time. I'm not here all the time. <laughs> I was at the game. I did my show in Manhattan Beach Sunday morning. Then I ran out. I got on the boat. I came over here, and I'm getting back on the boat to come back. i got to go to Vegas tomorrow. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I come back and speak at a service club, and I had a couple hours of radio that night. So I'm not on vacation. No. I'm just over here because I love it. My family was here for Labor Day weekend, and, and I wanted to see them. Okay, buddy? No problem. And you're working. You're doing our show, so you're working over there. That's no I, problem. I'm working. I'm working. Everybody always asks me when they see me, do you live there? I said, <laughs> heck no, I don't live there. I just get over here when I can. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again for, for coming on and uh, breaking down the Trojans game. We'll look forward to your analysis of USC Syracuse, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Ryan, and thank you, everyone, for participating, and thanks uh, to Southern California Tickets. And believe me, tickets are getting scarce now for USC football. So if you need a ticket, call them. They'll get it for you. They certainly will. Thanks to Southern California Tickets, and everyone back. we'll be back in 30 seconds talking to Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. We're going to pick his brain, what he thought of the USC game against Hawaii. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Hey, uh, Ryan. Uh, doing good. Nice uh, little extra day off here this week, and... Uh... With the Trojans uh, also off on Mondays, uh, does seem like a holiday. It does. It is a holiday. Happy Labor Day to everyone out there. Um, but yeah, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on how you felt that first game of the season went uh, for USC. There were some ups, some downs. We talked to uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment about it. What, what were your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I thought, to be honest, the, the best thing I just watching the replay was how good that crowd looked. <laughs> <laughs> 93,607, you know, that filled in, uh, and you see all that, you know, Cardinal and gold in the, uh, in the stands. I, I think it was hard to beat that. I mean, that just, uh, uh, you know, that signal that, uh, USC is back in LA and, uh, you know, people are excited and all fired up and what have you. And then the next thing you notice, I think were the new guys and the fact that they let the, uh, especially on defense, they let them run to the ball and they let them be active. And you see kids, you know, watching Leonard Williams, you just think, oh, my goodness, you know, how how did they how did they get that kid out of Florida? He just, you know, it's just uh, uh, for a freshman with his physical tools and all that. You saw Morgan Breslin, who's been working, you know, awfully hard uh, and has got such an unbelievable motor and, watching him run to the ball, there may be ways in which you look at that and say the injuries that they've had, the, the Devon Kennard and Wes Horton and uh, people like, you know, guys that you were counting on and veterans to come back may have really allowed these kids to develop more than maybe they would have normally. And here in the first, you know, few weeks, if they, uh, you know, get to play as many plays as, as USC's really made to come in, I think, the previous two years, as much as they talked about wanting to get, you know, rotation and more guys in, it just never worked out like that. And I think of all the commitments that the coaching staff has made, that's the one they just seem like they're absolutely going to live up to is they're going to play a lot of guys. And they're going to play young guys. They're going to let them make some mistakes, uh, although <laughs> we're not sure 
how many uh, how much they're going to let that cornerback opposite Macau, uh, you know, not not take some chances and, and make some mistakes. But other than that, I, I was really impressed with the commitment uh, to the young guys, to the defense, to be really active and, and not just you know uh, kind of reactive. But uh, to really, you know, force the action, I, I like that a lot. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, you've got, you know, Matt Barkley and Marquise Lee and Robert Woods, and uh, we know where that's going to end up. It was a little puzzling. It was so, uh, you know, up and down. I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, great things happened. And then, honestly, we saw more drop balls in that game than you and I will see in a month of practice, maybe a year of practice. I mean, we, we those guys just don't ever drop it. Uh, so I don't know if it was a combination of the sun, just in, in kind of, in, you know, was it the fact that they had a couple of plays that just where the ball clearly was coming out of the sun or, or what exactly it was, trying too hard, trying to hit a home run every time. That's, you know, that happens. But, uh uh, there were just a lot of interesting things uh, uh, to watch and see, and a, a kind of a, a classic opener uh, where you're going to see a lot of a lot of different things. But uh, uh, we we got to see almost everything you could, you know that you could get to see except the running game. Right. And uh, I think that'll be absolutely the big emphasis this week in practice. I think you know the challenge. Obviously, Lane's already met with the offensive line. They've had a, a real conversation about that. And it just didn't look like the fit was there, the timing was there. Uh, I know Hawaii did some unusual things, you know, up front that they weren't ready for. And, uh, you know, it looked like there'd be a breakdown here or a breakdown there. The, uh, the plays just didn't look, for the most part, crisp. Uh, and they didn't look, you know, like, you know, like they, I thought they had, the offensive line had trouble, uh, handling the uh, 30, for example, in the first half, 30 pass plays, eight running plays. And it didn't look like they went from the pass mode, you know, pass protection mode uh, to uh, really attacking in a run game mode well. It looked like they were kind of back on their haunches a little bit, even in the run game, uh, where they weren't really attacking people. I thought the offensive line maybe was the one part of USC's game where we didn't see uh, the Trojans kind of really going out and attacking people. Um, so. well, we had a question from uh, Tarion, and I, I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you noticed this, Dan, too, but we were talking on the sidelines during the game, and Matt Barkley not only didn't complete a pass to another wide receiver besides Marquise Lee, Robert Woods, I don't think he, you know, targeted another wide receiver. Uh, so Tarion wants to know, uh, are we, we going to see a lot more of Devon Flournoy this year? Well, uh, Lane said, you know, you're going to see them all. You're going to see all those third receivers. They just didn't, you know. Uh, you saw, for example, we saw a lot of Nelson Aguilar, but mostly as a blocker. You know, uh, uh, that was that was a little odd that they didn't just, you know, distribute the ball. It might have been, you know, one of those things we're not going to show. Uh, not only Syracuse, we're not going to show Stanford. And we don't need to do it, and we're not going to do it. Obviously, they didn't throw the ball to tight ends almost at all either. Uh, you know, threw one to you know each of the tailbacks and that kind of thing. But uh, it looked like they decided they didn't need to do some of that, so why do it? Uh, but, you know, I thought it ended up for, forcing Matt to try to make some throws, for example, to Robert that were just unbelievably high degree of difficulty for both Matt and Robert. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it certainly didn't look like there was the same kind of uh, tempo and rhythm that you would, would remember from the second half of last year where they were obviously setting up things with, with what they were doing and kind of having a progression and, 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 and you know, just really tried to – I mean, it didn't look all that different from that – that last scrimmage at the Coliseum where they were clearly, you know, there to check on the defense and they, you know, didn't have all the combinations in there on offense and what have you. So uh, I think it's hard to make any judgments about that game. And it, But here's what I would say. As good as Devon has looked, 
Nelson Aguilar is just another one of those kids who comes along and you say, wow, you know, this kid's special, special. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, they throw George Farmer in there too, and, and Victor Blackwell caught a pass. So, I mean, we can really think about that third wide receiver a lot, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure where that where that takes you at this point in time. I mean, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have had a better spring and a better summer and a better camp than, you know, than Devon did. Uh, he's just in a position where there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, really, really special athletes and special players and game changers and all of that. So I'm not sure I'd focus a lot on, on you know, on who's the third wide receiver or who's the fourth or are they getting enough chances and all that. I think uh, probably after three or four games you can kind of get a sense of that. But I think one game is probably not enough to give you a real uh, ability to, to think you know exactly what's happening there what's going to happen good point stan uh well hey stephen poway wanted to know he saw nelson aguilar out there he saw leonard williams and he said it looks like there was a lot of true freshmen that played maybe you can comment on how many there were and, and, and some of the contributions those guys made well i mean you know i think uh, on defense we counted 11 first time trojans so you know you counted the uh i guess four four true freshmen probably just about that many redshirt freshmen, a, a junior, two, two junior college transfers, and a transfer from Florida. So uh, I think all in all, Lane said there were 27 uh, uh, participants in, 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 you know, first-time college game for USC out there Saturday. And uh, 64, 65 total uh, in the uh, you know, participation chart. So those are numbers that are way off the charts in terms of previous years. I mean, we were used to seeing uh, 46, you know, 48 guys uh, in the openers uh, the last couple of years. So uh, that's a big, big, big jump up. Uh, uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the defensive line alone, uh, Christian Hayward, a redshirt uh, freshman, uh, Greg Townsend Jr., redshirt freshman, J.R. Tavai is a sophomore, but he didn't play, you know, all that much last year. Uh, so, you know, basically you look at that front line, you, you know, you had George Yuko with two starts. But other than that, that was pretty much uh, pretty much it. Anthony Sorrell, uh Sorrow, I think he says, is the absolute best way to pronounce his name. Uh, is uh, That was his first start ever as a redshirt freshman at the outside linebacker spot. So uh, you got Kevin Kevon Seymour uh, got in there. Fairly quickly at that cornerback opposite. Uh, uh, well, I guess he actually probably played both sides a little bit, uh, but uh, uh, he spelled Roby also, I think, and he's got he's got some real skills, and he's got he doesn't look like a freshman in some ways, and in other ways you can tell he's just really learning, and this is you know kind of a a process where he's feeling his way through it. But uh, uh, I thought the the fact that on defense that they would trust that many new guys to get, to be in there and make plays was uh, really encouraging. I think that's been one of the big hesitations is uh, it takes a long time to learn the system. It takes a long time before we're going to really be able to trust you. And um, uh, that wasn't the case Saturday, and uh, uh, that was the commitment, and I think uh, uh, there's no question. Uh, and I think uh, Max Turk. On offense, uh, to come in there with 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 Aguilar, uh, got a big block on on one of the kickoff uh, kickoff return uh, uh, that uh, Marquise ran back. Uh, so uh, I thought it was a really good day for the freshmen. Uh, and Ryan Dillard, for example, uh, the walk off yeah, Atlanta uh, cornerback, he got to play in there, and that was uh, that was great. I mean, he deserves it. He's uh, he got a tackle too, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. He had a tackle also. Yeah, no, he looks like he belongs. I mean, he can. I tell people, I said, I don't think you know he's a walk-on, but there's no differentiation between him and the, the guys with scholarships. Uh, so uh, I thought that was of all the things that happened, that was probably the the number one uh, upbeat, positive look at uh, uh, you know if you're going to be able to extend this team with these numbers through the year. 
the smart way to do it is to try to play as many of them as possible. I mean, USC may end up playing more people than people with 85 scholarships. And, and they're <laughs> going to be playing more people than they played the previous two years when they were allowed 85 scholarships. They couldn't play this many players. So uh, that's one way to turn that what seems like a negative into a positive. If you can, you know, you may have fewer on scholarship, but if you're playing more guys in the games uh, and guys who can play in the, in the one place that they had available to play more players is to play more young guys. And so there won't be uh, Lane, Lane, last week said he didn't see a whole lot of freshman redshirting. Uh, it kind of the thinking has been, we're going to see a lot of, you know, redshirt freshmen uh, uh, so that next year they'll be redshirt freshmen and they'll be redshirted this year. Doesn't look like that's the plan now. It looks like going to play them and, and have, enough, uh, have enough depth so if somebody goes down somewhere, you've got a younger player ready to step in. So I think that was probably, if you want to say, what's the insight that you get out of that game? I think that was the insight that we're getting. All right, uh, let's go to, we got a voicemail question for you. Here you go. Hello, this is Enrique from Norco. I am a weekly podcast downloader. You guys do an awesome job. I want to ask a question to Dan Weber. I want to know what the new allegations, what he thinks the NCAA might do, because we all know they make up their own rules as they go. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Joe McKnight held out of the Emerald Bowl? personal allegations with the NCAA take that into consideration. Thank you. And yeah. Fight on. Yeah. Uh, to Enrique and, and Norco, good question. Uh, yeah, I think when you looked at most of the revelations are probably outside the four-year statute of limitations were uh, in, uh, in 2008. So I think uh, a good many of those were um, uh, probably either – in the previous investigation, which USC did investigate all the Joe McKnight stuff and did send it to the NCAA. And the NCAA, I mean, they held him out of the game, even though when it came back, the NCAA did not rule that there was a violation of that case. And it was a difficult one. I don't think the story was reported very well because I think uh, it, it, it was reported from the point of view of so many of these stories, like it's something about USC, where really it was about the fact that the guy's connection to USC um, was through an employee of his who happened to be uh, Joe's girlfriend. So that gave him kind of an entree with USC players, but he was a booster of the University of Washington. He had a gold and purple bus in front of his house. Uh, clearly, if you read his emails, he paid no attention to USC telling him, you can't do this or you can't do that. Uh, he said, you know, what are they going to do to me? You know, are they going to put me on probation? I don't care. Uh, so I would think it, it, it's mostly uh, much ado about not very much. I, I wouldn't think in this particular case uh, uh, USC, you know, could, could get blamed previously for maybe they didn't, you know, they weren't diligent enough and, and uh, you know, and something about the Reggie Bush case, although, you know, again, that was overblown. Uh, clearly, the NCAA has not ruled in cases like North Carolina or um, that we've seen so far, or the Ohio State case or uh, other cases. They haven't really uh, invoked that uh, should-have-known standard, which, as you say, Enrique, that was a standard reserved for USC and USC alone. Uh, I would think now with Pat Hayden and, um, and Dave Roberts, uh, the uh, compliance director at USC, with their close uh, involvement with the NCAA in the past year, I think Roberts was telling us the other day that he's been there more than a dozen times in Indianapolis and working on this new penalty structure and all that. Again, USC fans have every reason to probably not trust the NCAA and uh, that they will deal, you know, fairly and ethically and all that. The history says they haven't. But uh, in this case, I just don't, I don't see this as being, uh, you know, the kind of thing that, uh, that just because of, of when it happened and how USC reacted and where this guy is coming from uh, and, and what the history of the case that we know from, from his emails uh, 
and, and again, I, I mean, some of those emails, you couldn't tell what Joe were they talking about. There were a couple of different Joes involved and all that. So, I mean, I, I think I think probably they jumped the gun, probably in terms of the reporting of, of, and made a story out of something that wasn't really a story yet, uh, just because it's USC and just because they can put it on the front page on the day that the number one team is opening uh, at home and create a lot of buzz, whether it's a good story or not. I, I, I don't think it was really uh, terribly well done in terms of, uh, of, of the way it was edited and the way it was presented. Uh, I don't think it was, you know, it was completely fair, but I think anybody involved with USC knows that kind of that's how it goes. But, uh, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. That doesn't mean we shouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't because there's not much you can do about it anyway. Uh, kind of out of our out of our hands. And it, uh, as Dave Roberts said, is it political? Absolutely. You know, do you have to kind of go along and protect yourself as best you can? Yes. And that's all you can do. Does that mean it's right? Does that mean it's the, you know they're doing it in a in a fair and decent and honorable way? No. But that's the way it happens. That's the way it works. And so I think USC is working within the system. I mean, it's, it's clear, you know, they're passing stuff along right away. They're not covering things up. They're not, you know, hiding, you know, anything. And obviously that gave the NCA the ability to say, well, so what we, if we have to do some of these things and change the rules, it's worth it because USC deserves it. It's hard for them, I think, to make that case now. All right, we got one more voicemail question for you. Here we go. How you doing? This is Pierre calling from Vancouver, Washington. Big fan. I just want to know if Nelson Nagaylor is really going to be able to step in and, you know, carry on the wide receiver tradition at USC. Thanks for your time. Bye. Yeah, I think it's hard to believe that you could do that three straight years with uh, Robert Woods and then Marquise Lee and then Nelson Aguilar and to be able to get him out of Florida. We were talking the other day and, th- and thinking, holy cow, <laughs> could, could USC have actually gotten the two best players out of the state of Florida last year in Leonard Williams and Nelson Aguilar? It looks like they might have. It's just kind of amazing when you think about it uh, that, uh, that they could have pulled that off. But uh, Nelson Aguilar looks like the real deal. I think one of the things that was interesting is if you noticed on Marquise Lee's touchdown where Nelson was the, sort of the uh, – uh, you know, escort is, uh, you know, as much faster and as much more athletic as Marquise has, has gotten, he wasn't running away from Nelson at all. I mean, Nelson's, you know, running backwards, running sideways, looking, you know, where the kicker was, the last block, and, uh, you know, running step for step with Marquise. I mean, Nelson's uh, just, I mean, the first day we saw him in summer passing, we thought, oh my goodness. I mean, there's something about some kids. And, he just has that, whatever that it factor is. Uh, uh, and then when you look at, you know, when they tell you things like he may know the playbook better than Robert did as a freshman or, you know, the seriousness of, uh, of how he, he approaches things. And then you watch him physically and you just think, uh, wow, uh, this looks like, uh, doesn't look like a freshman. And he looks like he's just a gifted, gifted athlete, uh, and a, and a special kid. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say yes. He will join, uh, you know, the ranks of. Uh, he might not get as many opportunities as a freshman as those two did because they had to. Yeah, they had to come through. They were thrown in there, and uh, you know, they they got uh, more opportunities. The fact that both of them are still here gives Nelson kind of a little more of a freshman break-in period than those two had. Uh, whether that will change how how you know it all works out for him or not, but. Uh, but talent-wise and, uh, and all the other uh, attributes, uh, Nelson, uh, you know, fits right in with those two guys. All right, we've got a couple more quick ones to get to. Uh, USC fan and SLC wanted to know, uh, this was actually before the game he sent it in, Max Wittick was named a number two quarterback. Lane Kiffin repeatedly claimed that Kessler and Wittick were neck and neck. Do you feel that Max Wittick is getting the nod because he fits the pro-style mold better? being that he's 6'4 and has a rocket arm. He's a Carson Palmer-type QB. And also, do you think this will have any effect on Cody Kessler in terms of transferring? Well, I think 
my ultimate analysis on that was Wittick gave them the ability to uh, still throw the – I mean, if you looked at Saturday, Lane wants to throw the ball down the field, and he wants to throw it sideline to sideline. And I think, uh, uh, you know, you might say, well, Kessler has got slightly better uh, – uh, huddle presence or, uh, you know, uh, understands the game plan maybe, or he's got escapability because he's got such great feet and all of those things. And he may be a little more ball secure, but I think if they had to, you know, make a change in the game, they don't have to adjust. And I know Lane has said we wouldn't have to adjust the game plan with either guy, but obviously Wittick can throw the ball down the field a long way. And the one comment that was made after the decision was uh, in terms of reaction to it uh, was that Cody said, I've got to work on the long, my long ball more. I've got to be able to do that. So I think that was the, the decision, was that uh, uh, Max could come in there and more uh, exactly kind of replicate what they're doing with uh, – uh, with uh, with Matt Barkley, uh, uh, that Max uh, still allows them to use Robert and uh, Marquise the way you know they've decided they want to go, which is probably a good thing. Which tells you that if they go with a uh, have to go with a backup, they're not going to uh, ratchet down the game plan. They're going to still go for it and, and and keep that field wide open and keep those guys flying down the field, which is probably in some ways a good sign. What that means for Cody, I don't know. I, I really, I mean, I'm a, just personally as a former high school football coach, I love watching Cody play. I love the way he plays. Um, uh, every, like everything about him, but I will say this, Max uh, Wittick has really, really uh, improved his game in every way you can do it. And at 6'4 and 245, and he can take off and run as well. Doesn't have the same kind of quick feet or capability. Uh, say in the pocket, but he's a threat. You know, if he turns it upfield, he can uh, he can get a long way, and, and, you know, in a hurry. Uh, and which was always what Carson. People don't realize how fast Carson was. Nobody ever caught him from behind. Uh, and as big as he was, uh, you know, he could uh, he could he could he could rumble. And so I think Max, uh, you know, gives him a lot of things that um, you know. That, that Carson gave him, obviously, gives him a lot of things that Matt gave him and uh, uh, gives him the ability to not have to change things, let's say, in the flow of the game if, uh, if Matt went down. What would happen in terms if they have a whole week to get ready for the next game or what's going to happen in the spring? I don't know that this affects that that much. If you notice, Saturday they got Cody in as well. So I think they're really trying to, uh, to emphasize that this is really close. I mean, this was a very, I think, very uh, slim margin of difference between the two, and I do think it was the ability to, to not have to adjust any of the deep ball stuff that, uh, that they could throw with, uh, with Max. All right, and one last quick one, Dan. Jerry wants to know if they're going to use the tight ends more in this offensive scheme. They have to. They can't use them much less. Obviously, they're going to use them a lot more. If you go to practice and you guys can't, you know, the tight ends are a really big part of what this team does, which should probably have been the tip-off that Saturday's uh, game was not, you know, I, I likened it more to the kind of full-game scrimmages we used to play as high school you know, coaches where they would allow you to play somebody uh, not on your schedule in a full-game condition scrimmage uh, where they work on certain things, but you don't necessarily do everything. I think clearly they made the decision once they got into that game and the way it started and that we're not going to show what we're doing to our, with our tight ends because the tight ends were available almost all day. I mean, they may have, you know, when you think about how much, you know, uh, Matt forced the ball almost to the two wide receivers, the decision may have been, well, everybody knows about these two guys and that Matt's going to throw to them, so let's just do that and we won't give anything up. Uh, I think that was the case for, for Saturday. They – I mean, we've never seen them uh, not look at the tight ends uh, the way Saturday was. So, you know, they're going to throw the tight ends a lot. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your insights. Uh, first USC football game we got to talk about in quite a while. So it's a lot of fun, and Boy. everyone's going to be looking forward to next week. Can't wait. Uh, be fun. Uh, uh, Syracuse is 
It's going to be an interesting second game after you know watching them the first game score 41 against Northwestern. Big comeback, didn't quite make it. They're going to have a chip on their shoulders. Uh, they get to see uh, former USC Associate AD Daryl Gross, who's the AD at Syracuse, and probably was the guy responsible for getting Pete Carroll to come to USC. So there's a lot of kind of connections uh, with USC and Syracuse, and a chance to go to you know New York City and kind of uh, bring the We'll see if they're still the number one team, but uh, you know, uh, a high-flying team into into the Big Apple because that doesn't happen very often. So it'll be kind of fun. It certainly will. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 